0: Happy Father's Day! It's good to have you here this morning. I don't think I have to work very hard to convince you that that fatherhood is important in the design of God for for families. Of course, uh, as you look around, you it doesn't take long to recognize that that fatherhood is under assault. The family is is, is under assault. Data from the United States Census Bureau shows that nearly 18 and a half million children across this country will grow up in a home without a father. That of course has given to the United States uh, a new title as the world's leader of fatherlessness. Approximately 80% of single parent homes are led by single mothers. And so as you would put all the families together across this country, those that are, that are both uh, married and together and then those that are living in single-parent homes, 25% of children living in America are growing up in a home without a father. Statistics will show that having a dad in the home provides incredible advantages. And those that grow up in a home without a father who's present are subjected to difficult disadvantages. For example, 85% of children and teens with behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. And over 70% of all adolescent patients in drug and alcohol treatment centers originate from homes without fathers. Beyond the enormous benefits to our children, there are numerous advantages in society that result from strong nuclear families. For example, regarding poverty, data shows that children without fathers in the home are five times more likely to live in poverty than a child in a two-parent home. Furthermore. Research indicates that children without fathers at home are nine times more likely to drop out of school and they represent 90% of all the homeless and runaway children. There's no doubt that fatherhood is a significant aspect of what God has called us to, especially as believers, but as societies. But we'd also recognize and understand that dads just being present in a home isn't the, isn't the key for having a successful, what we would call a successful family. Our passage this morning will provide a guarantee. Uh, not a guarantee that those who live this way will have successful families, but a guarantee that you cannot have one without God building the home. So if if you would, please, open up to Psalm 127. It's on page 518 in your pew Bible, if if you don't have a Bible of your own. It begins this way, the subtitle is this, A Song of Ascent of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go to late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Now there's a word that you should have heard several times throughout these first three verses, a word that comes to the surface, a word that Solomon intends for us to hear, and it's the word vanity. Solomon wants us to avoid the emptiness and futility of a life that is lived in a way that is not coupled with the power of God. And that's what this passage is all about. How can you tether your family's heart to God? And how can you enjoy the benefits of a God who builds families? And so we're going to look this morning at some ways in which, especially you as dads, but also you as moms, can help to bind and tether your children's hearts to God. Welcome and invite God into your home so that God can build this kind of family. First, I want you to notice in verse 1 that we have a responsibility, dads. We have a responsibility of pointing to God in building our home. We have a responsibility to point to God in building our home. Unless... The Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. The design of this psalm is to stress the importance of coupled labor, the the importance of of laboring with God or allowing God to, to labor with us in these important endeavors. Notice this, this is not a, a hands-off approach. This isn't a, a sit-back-and-relax kind of psalm. This is a laboring kind of psalm, but laboring in the power of God, watching in the power of God, working in the power of God, and enjoying the benefits of God's divine strength in the midst of the labors that we add to the equation. This psalm will cover... The most significant issues that face every individual in this room. The issue of family. The issue of protection. The issue of provision. Every one of us wake up in the morning and these are at the forefront of our attention. So we're going to see this morning this delicate balance. This balance of recognizing that we must point our families to God. We must allow God to do the work in our homes if we're ever going to see the benefit of a success successful parenting and healthy power of God in working in our homes this first phrase if the Lord does not build there are two construct relationships here now (laughs) you might wonder why is that important well it's important for, for a couple of reasons It's important because it helps us to understand that the truths here are inseparable. These construct relationships are Hebrew words that are bound together with this relationship that helps you know they are inseparable. That there is no other way for us to enjoy the benefits of this kind of home without the working power of God. Unless God is involved, unless God's power is applied, unless your home is enjoying the benefits of this kind of divine activity, you will never experience the kind of success that God promises in this psalm. He also uses what is called a permanent prohibition. He uses this word low. This word low helps you to realize that there are no exceptions. There are no alternatives. There are no conditions in which you can enjoy this kind of success, this kind of fruitfulness apart from the power of God. Unless the Lord does it, you will never experience the benefits. Successful homes only come from God now I want to say right here at the outset that we can look through scripture and, and I want you to realize that there, is, there are no guarantees of having godly families and that just because you have a godly home doesn't guarantee you have a godly family all you have to do is look at the home of, of the great high priest Aaron and you can see at least two of his kids who decided that they would act out on their own. They would decide to, to, to concoct this, this special aroma, put it in the, the, uh, the incense in their censers and they would raise it up and they would, they would worship God but they would do it their own way and God would strike them dead. Of course, Eli, who was a priest for Israel... And his two wretched and abominable sons who, who used their position in a way that was reprehensible. And David, of course, David who was a man after God's own heart and we can see the shipwreck of his own family. But the, the, the promise of this is that if we were ever to experience the benefits of divine power we must look to God and invite God into our homes point our families to him successful homes will only come from God of course you wouldn't know this if you looked at your local bookstore or if you looked on hundreds of thousands of books that are geared towards parenting the last time I looked there were over 500,000 books that related to parenting 92,000 of them dealing directly with parenting or relationships. About 15,000 dealing with self-help. 86,000 that are dealing with education and reference. We recognize that, that good books are helpful, and I have, been, I have benefited from godly people who have, who have drawn out good truths from his word and have instructed me through their own experiences. But mark my words and understand what Solomon in this psalm is trying to help us recognize is that successful homes only come from God. So how do we know? How do we know that Solomon is talking about homes or families? How do we know he's not just talking about structures? Well, first, I, I, the, the word for son or daughter shares the root word to build. That God builds Families. And we find clearer evidence throughout the Scripture that that when God uses the word house or home, he's using it in reference to families. we see this in 1 Samuel 2, verse 35. It says, Then I will raise up for myself a faithful high priest, or faithful priest, who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and... Uh, be my anointed forever. God builds families. He builds homes. And then in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 1, it says this, the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her own hands. There is a working that we enjoy. There is a working that we do in terms of building our homes, but it must be coupled with the building power of God. Families are a means of promise and blessing throughout the scripture. That, that when God uses this word, where the Bible uses the word house for the very first time in the scripture, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, it's talking about families. Notice, now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Isn't it interesting that the redemptive plan of God hinges on this promise to Abraham in order for his house, his home, his family to bless the earth so that families are God's mechanism for blessing the world. And he will do that through the future seed family. And then, of course, the, the promise of God to David to bless his seed, to bless his kingdom, to bless his heir, that God would bring redemption and promise through families. Successful homes only come from God. How, might you ask? How? How do we as fathers begin to invite God into our house? What do we do? H- how do we welcome God into our home? How does God build His house through our efforts? How do we allow ourselves to become a catalyst for a working God in building our home in a way that pleases Him? Well, there are an, a, a number of ways that we could address, but, but, but I think our passage gives us some clues. We find in the subtitle that this is a song of ascent. Do you you notice that? Right underneath Psalm 127, there's a little subtitle there that says, A Song of Ascent. Those are part of inspired. These were likely songs that were sung by pilgrims who were making their way to Jerusalem. There were three festivals that every man, every Jewish man needed to attend every single year. The Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Booths, and the Passover and often they would travel with their families or they would travel with a company of other individuals and they would make their way to Jerusalem with a company of other individuals and they would make their way to Jerusalem and they would sing these songs songs that would celebrate the wonder of God the the theology of his word that they would draw attention to to who God was and and help to call attention in their own hearts to the one who is sovereign and good and and, 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 and intervened with his people this reminds me that in order for us to welcome God into our homes in order for God to build our house we must prioritize worship we must prioritize worship not just on Sunday. Our life must be dominated with an all-consuming passion to worship God. As those who have been bought with price, the, the precious blood of Christ, we, we have come to recognize that, that the, the predominant mission and purpose for which we have been saved, as we found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 10-11, was to proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light and that is worship the testimony of worship and the celebration and wonder of who God is so dads if you are going to welcome God to build your house you must make worship a priority and that prioritization of worship must begin with you It, it has to begin in your own heart It has to be an all-consuming passion of your own life. It has to mark day by day the the, the core feature and priority of your life. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5 will draw attention to this. And Deuteronomy was the retelling of the law. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your strength. Every time you see the the all caps Lord in the Bible, it is calling attention to the covenant-keeping God. The God who makes promises, and not just any promise, is a God who makes promises to families. A God who established a relationship with families. And in our psalm, Psalm 127, The same title, the same designation of the covenant-keeping God is the one who will build your home. Unless the Lord, the covenant-keeping God, who builds relationships with families, is intervening in your home, you will not enjoy the benefits of God's power in your house. Prioritize worship. Bind your heart to God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, the totality of who you are. Make worship of God a priority. And then when you do that, then you can begin to point your children to God in what you say. And that's what comes next. Point your children to God in what you say. (laughs) As your heart is caught up with wonder of God in studying his word for yourself, what will mark your conversations, what will mark the, the interactions that you have with your kids is what is on your heart in life itself. The, the very words of God will shape your discussions and your conversations in your home. Point your children to God in what you say. In verses 6 and 7 of Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 6, it says this, "...and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart." You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. It will dominate your conversations because it's dominating and saturating your life. Teach your children theology. Teach your children about God. Direct their attention to Him and allow gospel conversations to be preeminent in your home. One of the things I've appreciated so much about my upbringing is how often my mom and dad brought the gospel into the conversations of our home. And it went something like this. Oftentimes, my mom and dad would say, you know what, son, I'm sorry. I'm sorry how I hurt you. I'm sorry how I offended you. I dishonored God in my behavior. Please forgive me. But, son, I want you to understand that, that that you, like me, because we are sinners, we need the cleansing of a holy God, and, and He provides forgiveness. He provides cleansing, and, and only as we look to God can we find the healing and help that comes only from Him, because He alone is the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through Him, but... When we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I just want you to know about that kind of God. Allow your conversations to be punctuated by the gospel, to point to who God is, to point to the fact that God desires relationship with his people through faith and uh, surrender to Jesus Christ. Point your children to God in what you say. Next, point your children to God in how you live. Point your children to God in how you live. (laughs) I have often said that our kids are the greatest hypocrisy detectors. I think that's true because our kids see the inconsistency. They see the inconsistency of our lives. They recognize that, that what we say and what we do are often out of step. They're, they're often not aligned to one another. And so, fathers and mothers, allow your heart to demonstrate the consistency of your confession. May your confession, the things you say, be ingrained and lived out in your life. And husbands, we do this the most. We, we speak and show the gospel primarily in how we love our wives. Your relationship with your wife is a picture of the gospel. Your relationship with your wife is a way for your kids to see the way that Christ loves His church. How do I know that? Because it says that in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 26. It says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church And gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water by the word. That same sacrificial laying down, preferring of the church that Christ did for us, that humble, loving, sacrificial example is the same way, husbands, we are to love our wives. And by doing that, we show our kids the gospel. And so when we don't do that, we obscure the gospel. And in some ways, we pollute the gospel. We tarnish the gospel. We conceal the truth of the gospel for our children when we don't love our wives in the ways that Christ loved the church. When our, when our words don't match our actions. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Show the gospel to your children to your families and when we do that we saw a couple of weeks ago that it will begin to invite the Spirit of God into our homes and, and, and we will then be able to raise up little disciples little children who will follow after our example in Luke chapter 6 verse 40 Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount he says a disciple is not above his teacher but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher, your kids will emulate your example. They will follow after your steps. They won't necessarily do what you say, but they will often do what you do. So, what is important to you will be important to them. What dominates your thinking and your priorities and the purposes that you have in life will echo itself, reflect itself in their priorities and purposes what guides your decisions, what anchors your confidence, what drives your objectives in life and goals, the priorities that you have will echo and reflect itself in the priorities of your children. Ensure, dads, make sure that you are pointing to God in building your home. Be a builder and point to God in your building of your home. Second, Point to God in protecting your home. We see that in the second part of verse uh, verse 1. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now, there is a watching that is happening, but it's a watching just like the building that needs to happen through the power of God. We have a building God. We need to couple uh, our building with his building, point to his building, direct the focus and orientation of our building so it pleases him. In the same way, we need to do this for our watching. Watch. Be a watchman for your families, but watch in the ways that God is watching. Uh, allow God to watch your own heart. Allow Him to, to examine and and to um, to affect the way you think, to guide the way you live. And as a watchman of God to your heart, you will be able to be an appropriate watchman for your family. The phrase that is used here in the second part of verse 1 is similar to the phrase in the first part of verse 1. There are two construct relationships. If the Lord... Does not guard. It's also punctuated by this permanent prohibition. There won't be an effective, appropriate watching unless the Lord is watching. There are no exceptions. There are no conditions in which you will enjoy the protecting power of God unless God is the one who is protecting your family. A couple of years ago, as a church, we moved through the the book of Nehemiah together. And we saw the significance of walls and watchmen in that little Old Testament book. We recognize the vulnerabilities that come when there are no walls or watchmen in place. And here Solomon acknowledges that even with the best walls, a watchman is required. And those who watch without the watching power of God are watching actually in vain. But those who watch with the power of God allow the watching power of God to be dominant in their homes will enjoy security rest assurance lack of fear the idea is that when God watches when he protects there is safety and security it is the truth that Peter conveyed in 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 12 to 14 where it says for the eyes of the lord are on the righteous And his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Meaning, if you're righteous, no one can touch you. You are secure. God will preserve you. You are guarded by him. But then he moves on to verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. The absence of fear is not the absence of trouble. But there is no fear as we believe in a God who is overall. There is no fear if we believe in a God who is good, a God who works out good things, good purposes, even when life is hard and difficult. And we can have no fear when we know that God is present. He is ever-present and all present with us. His omnipresence is everywhere. And if we believe that God listens, God listens to our prayers, God is concerned for our needs, We we can move through hard things without fear. You know, safety is an obsession in our society. I think about all the warning labels, all the safety devices, all the ways we protect and secure and watch over our stuff. I think of all the ways that we try to preserve the things that we have. Uh, Just this past week, Sarah and I took a trip down to Cincinnati for a couple of days, and um, for the first time, I thought it was a great idea to to buy uh, discount tickets on a website and it wouldn't tell me the destination. It just told me uh, the, the approximate location of the hotel, but not the name. I thought, well, <laughs> I'll, I'll go for it. It's, it's, uh, it's, worth, it. it's worth a shot. Uh, but, but of course, I, I want to hedge my bets by making sure I also purchase some insurance so that just in case it's not the kind of place I want to stay in, that, uh, that I can get my money back. I think it's good for us to be wise it's important for us not to throw caution to the wind but so much of what we do even as believers has made God virtually irrelevant because we don't have to trust him for anything we have we have built-in ways for us not to have to trust but the Christian life is risky the christian life is perilous it's dangerous we spent an entire year in first peter it's a letter to foreigners and strangers and and the prevailing theme throughout this letter is peter's call to this church to to endure hardship to expect hard things persecution because it's the, through the testing of our faith that God works out his purposes. And while there is danger in being a Christian, there is also infinite safety because we entrust ourselves to an infinite God. Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will defend you. I will uphold you with my righteous right arm. Dads, watch out for the heart of your children. Help them to realize there is one protector. There is one protector who will never fail, and is a protector who won't keep them from trouble, but will help to preserve their hearts in the midst of trouble, who will give them strength and hope in the midst of hard things. God is dependable. They can trust in Him even when things are not going their way. Help your kids to understand that they can trust God in the hardest circumstances because He is sovereign and in control. Because He is loving and will work things out for their good even if it doesn't feel great. But He is accomplishing His purposes as, as Joseph says to his brothers. Uh, the a little... A message that, uh, that Pastor Ben gave at the soccer camp. What you intended for evil, God meant for good. It didn't feel good. But God used me in a way to accomplish his purposes that I could never see as I was working through or moving through the hardship. And, and by the way, things may never get better. For Jim Elliot, he says, um, can't remember the phrase what's that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose and he lost his life for the sake of the Alka Indians things never got better for him it was full of hardship and trouble but God's victory prevailed God accomplished his purposes through hard things and God protected his heart in the midst of that terrible situation we often get in the way by trying to find every way we can to protect our kids from the hardship around them. Draw their attention to God as the one who alone can protect and preserve and help them in the midst of hard things. Point to God in building your homes. Point to God in protecting your homes. And next, Notice, Solomon says, it is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Uh, The statement in this verse is emphatic. We're we're now, instead of vanity being at the end of the verse or towards the middle of the verse, now Solomon is bringing it right out to the front. He wants you, do not miss the futility of self-effort and labor. Don't get caught in the rat race of working hard in order to provide for your needs. God built in this rhythm of rest, this rhythm of faith every week that is intended to draw our attention to a God who provides that six days you shall labor and do all your work but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest and worship and faith. Recognize the significance of of the cadence of rest and faith that God has built in, the vanity of toil without God stands at the forefront of this passage. And notice it is of Solomon. Solomon is the is the writer of this little uh, psalm, and no one under could understand vanity more than Solomon, right? Solomon, who understood vanity and wrote an entire book about it in Ecclesiastes begins that little book this way in chapter 1 verses 2 to 4 he says vanity of vanities says the preacher vanity of vanities all is vanity what does a man gain by all the toil in which he toils under the sun a generation goes and a generation comes but the earth remains forever And chapter after chapter after chapter, he points to the emptiness and the futility of self-effort. The vanity of wisdom. The vanity of self-indulgence. The vanity of hard work. The vanity of wealth and honor. Now, don't misunderstand. There is is something to be said about labor that God has created us for. That we have a working God who has called us to mimic his working power in this world. His creative, constructing power. But unless that labor is done in a way that that invites God's power and working to intervene and to help us, then we labor in a way that is futile. This futility of personal effort and labor is underscored in this verse. Verse. Look at how Solomon describes this person. He's a man of activity, but he is completely stressed out. Maybe some of you in periods of your your life will will know this to be true. All of this working, all of this energy, all of this waking up early and going to bed late, and for whatever reason, the bank account stays just where it was a month ago. Because God wants to demonstrate that He is provider, that He is helper. He is the one who who comes and meets our needs. And so he allows the, the, as he, as what happened in the book of Nehemiah and and Ezra, all of the the self-effort that was taking place ends in futility, in emptiness. We have said the early bird gets the worm. We have said early to bed, early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise, and certainly. There are some meaningful principles there, but not the kind of labor that is decoupled or independent from the working power and provision of God. I I, I even appreciate this final phrase. He gives his beloved sleep. Solomon actually inserts his name his given name in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 25. His name, Jedediah, is now placed into this psalm as a signpost to say, I've experienced and have seen all the vanity of futility of life, but when I have coupled my heart and allowed God to provide, I can finally rest. He gives me rest. He gives his beloved Jedediah rest. The NASB translates it this way. He gives to his beloved in his sleep. I, I appreciate that translation as well. Meaning all of the labors that we labor with, God ultimately in our sleep is providing the harvest. Trust in God to provide. Dads, help your kids know that God is dependable for providing for his own. This was the prevailing theme of the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 and 26, where Jesus calls his listeners to faith. Don't be worried, he says. I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And the emphatic answer is yes. And as the heavenly Father provides for your family, you dads point to the provision of a heavenly Father who is able to take care of the needs of your family in your home. Think of how often our parenting actually cuts the strings with God, rather binding our children to Him. And this, perhaps, is one of the most important ways to help draw the attention of your children in committing themselves to depending and trusting in a God who provides. Even when they don't see the provision, even when the future is uncertain, knowing that God is able to provide. In the end, what you've done is you've You've pointed the way to Christ. You've helped your family know that God is able to provide. Next, we see that we need to point our families to God who rewards us with homes. Let your children recognize the significance of the reward. That God does reward families. God does reward us as individuals. He rewards us through the context of children. Notice verse 3 Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb is a reward. The Hebrew takes a dramatic shift in language here. Draws attention with this this word that, that is like neon signs. Behold, listen, pay attention, heads up. Here's how blessing comes. If you want the provision of God, if you want a building God and a protecting God, it's all wrapped up in families. Children are reward. Teach them that children are a gift. When the Scripture talks about heritage, it's usually talks about property. But when it talks about reward, it's referring to something that is, not, that is paid not out of duty, but paid as a benevolence from the one who is giving. In fact, it's looked for in accordance with a promise that's given, but cannot by any means be demanded. We serve a God who rewards, who delights in rewarding through a heritage and legacy of children. It should not surprise us, then, that there is an all-out assault on families. It should not surprise us that Satan wants to attack us at the very foundations of the blessing that God has given. And so there is this role reversal that points all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. There is divorce and infidelity and pornography and homosexuality and gender confusion and terminating pregnancies, trying to get rid of this blessing of God at the earliest stages of life. But we don't need to bow to the pressure of the world. We must exalt and commend the heritage and blessing of God to our children. Help them understand the means by which God sends His favor on people you know when our kids are young it's easy for us to enjoy their presence you're either holding them in your arms or you're feeding them and just enjoying their smile their presence among you but then when they get older things get a little bit more difficult it's sometimes it's more challenging to see that, uh, that children are actually a blessing from God when there is conflict in the home. But as we continue to direct the attention of our kids to a God who builds, a God who protects, a God who provides, that orientation of, of drawing their attention to God will, will, will continue to settle and anchor their hearts. Every great man or woman was first a son or a daughter anchor your heart believe in God's plan for the world that happens through families great things happen on this planet because of families point to God who gives favor families finally blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate god's design for changing the world is through our kids god's design from the very beginning of infiltrating culture and and changing people's hearts happen through families are you frustrated with a condition of society or culture? Do you wish there was something you can do? Well, you can. You can do this one family at a time, one child at a time. Allow your heart to lead your children and pointing your children to God. As you continue to point them to God, you can release them to God. And you can trust that God will accomplish His purposes in and through their life. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says this: "Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it." Are we prioritizing the training of our kids and directing their hearts to God. And when we do this, what will happen as our children come to faith in Christ, is they will come to a place of recognizing, as we find in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, that they are His workmanship created in christ jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand that he should walk in them that we should walk in them god has a design of changing the world through people and god has put little people into your homes so you can direct their attention to god and call them to greater purposes greater objectives, greater goals that happen only as they orient their heart in one way and as you release that arrow, it will accomplish its purpose as you're directing them to the things that matter. Prioritize. Prioritize pointing your children to God. Finally, this word to build, some word of encouragement. And this word build, if, unless the Lord builds the house is in the imperfect tense, which helps us realize that it is incomplete action. It's not finished. And the encouragement to our heart is that the work of God for our families is not over when your, family, when your children leave your house. It's not over when you have had that frustrating conversation, when you have had difficulty in conflict and, and kids are not making the decisions that you would like them to make. But as you continue to entrust your families to God, and to invite God to build your home, you will see the working power of God in completing this work that he has started if your children know and love Jesus. Apostle Paul in Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. And while the building in Psalm 127 is incomplete, there is a building that God wants to do. And, and, and regardless of the stage that your family is in, God is not finished. As you continue to bind your heart to Him and ask and invite God to have His way in your heart and in the hearts of your kids. And this is also a, a transcendent principle for those of you who have families that, that, are, that, are, that are perhaps gone. That as we are a part of the church family, there is a, a collaborative effort as we are seeking to allow the, the, the God who builds to build our next generation. So, so wherever you are in the process of, of ministry and life, God can use you in this way whether you're a parent or whether you're single even as a child God can use you to to help build a generation of those who love and serve Christ let's pray God we're grateful for the good gift of family we pray that you'd help us especially as dads today but also as moms and grandparents and whatever stage of life we're in we pray that that our life would reflect a commitment to worship and to confidence and trust in the protecting and providing work of God. And may we see a generation of young people follow after you to be your workmen in this world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.